Okay, last time we looked at Isaac Watts' poetic work based on Psalm 98, if you remember, that would go on to become the Christmas song, Joy to the World. Thank you. The scripture records that the central characters in the Christmas story responded to the events surrounding the birth of our Savior with songs of joy. And so this morning, we will hear the Christmas songs of Zechariah and Mary. Okay? Now, Zechariah's song is recorded for us in Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 80. And I'll be reading that from the New King James. The first, well, just a brief outline. While Zechariah is not often associated with the birth of Christ, the baby he will father is to be the one who will go before the Lord to prepare his way. And John will be born a few months before Jesus and will go throughout the land preparing people for the coming Messiah. Now beginning in Luke 1 verse 5, we learn that Zechariah was a priest in Jerusalem who was married to Elizabeth, the daughter of a priest. Now she loved the Lord with all her heart, just as Zechariah did. Both were righteous, upright in the sight of God. That's verse 6. And God says, they are righteous before me. Now this was God's assessment. This was God's judgment. The God who looks in the heart, the God from whom nothing can be hid, he is the one who said they were upright, blameless in his sight. They practiced what they preached. <clears throat> they lived out their faith. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. Not only did they have no children, but they also could not expect to have any because they were both well advanced in years. Verse 7. And verse 8 tells us it was Zachariah's turn to perform his duties as priest in the temple. And as he was performing his duties in verse 11, he was interrupted by the angel of the Lord. And when the angel appeared, Zechariah was afraid, verse 12. But the angel calmed him. And his next words to Zechariah were from verses 13 to 17, or through 17. Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. <clears throat> this news was too much for Zechariah. It was too much for him to believe. His faith gave way to reason. And in verse 18 he said, How will this happen? My wife and I are old. We're too old. Zechariah made the mistake of looking at God through his problems. 
rather than looking at his problems through the power of God. And so the angel rebuked this lack of faith and makes this powerful identifying statement in verse 18. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. So Gabriel basically says in verse 20, here's your sign, Zechariah, because you did not believe my words, you will be mute and not able to speak until these things take place. And from that moment forward, through the next nine months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Zechariah didn't speak a word. The next time Zechariah spoke, it was to name his son John, as the angel had instructed. And in that joyous moment, as he held his son in his arms, he began to sing what is literally the first song of Christmas, verses 68 to 79. Now over the years, the church has given this song the title, the Benedictus, the Latin for the word for blessing. Now we don't know the melody, but let's look at verses 68 to 79. And as I said, I'll be reading from the New King James, 68 to 79. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation, a symbol of power, for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of the, his holy prophets, who have been since who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. In this Christmas carol that Zechariah sings, there are three essential truths about God. First, God always answers prayer but not necessarily in the way we think he should, or even when we think he should. He gives us the answers we need, not necessarily the answers that we want. And second, in his song, Zechariah foretold the greatest example of God's involvement in our world when God would literally join us in the human struggle that night of nights, when he would be born in that manger in Bethlehem, after which he would go on to live a sinless life and then die on the cross for your sins and mine. And third, Zechariah joyfully reminds us that God keeps 
his promises. And an exclamation mark after that. Zacharias sings the joyful realization that the meaning of both his and Elizabeth's names was true. They had been given very special names by their parents. Elizabeth means the oath of God or the promises of God. And Zachariah's name means Jehovah remembers. And when you put those two names together, you have a union that affirms a wonderful truth. God remembers his promises. So to end this on Zechariah, this is a song of an old man who had a miracle child in his arms and contemplated the seismic shift that was taking place in his lifetime. And he had to sing. And the point of his song, God has visited us in the person of Jesus Christ. Next, we will take a look at Mary's song. And we'll be uh, reading from Luke 1, verses 26 to 56. But first, we'll familiarize ourselves with the setting. Mary and Joseph lived not far from the Sea of Galilee in a little village of Nazareth. Mary was a teenage girl at the time who was also a descendant of King David, having her royal bloodline through King David's son, Nathan. And she was engaged to Joseph, a humble carpenter, who was also of the royal lineage of David through David's son, Solomon. And we can see from the Gospels and throughout the Bible that Mary had great faith in God. And it's Mary's faith in the promise of God concerning her royal child that we will be considering here this morning. And our story begins, as I said, in verse 26 and 27, where we read, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. <clears throat> These two verses stress three facts. First, six months have passed since Gabriel shocked Zechariah with the news of his imminent fatherhood. And second, Mary is a virgin, mentioned twice in verse 27. And third, she has no idea about what is to happen. She is completely in the dark, without a clue that her life is about to be changed forever. <clears throat> verse 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now Mary was most likely sitting peacefully in her parents' home when Gabriel just seems to have walked in on her. And we're told in verse 29 that when he came to her and spoke these words, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And verses 30 to 33 infer that Gabriel sensed her fear and said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great 
and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. <clears throat> when Gabriel says he will be called the Son of the Most High, Mary does not ask what it means or why she was picked for such a high honor. She only has one question, a technical matter she would want, like to have cleared up. In verse 40, 34, she says, how can this be, she asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Now notice the difference in Mary's response to the angel's announcement from that of Zacharias. Zacharias said, this can't happen. And her question, but Mary said, how can this happen? You see, Zechariah thought they were too old, right? Didn't give God credit. Mary's question is one of honest intellectual questioning. How? And there's nothing wrong with that. God invites our honest questions. He urges us to ask, to seek. In essence, Mary says to Gabriel, all right, I'm willing to do my part, but you need to explain how we'll handle this one little problem since I'm still a virgin. Now that's real faith. That's believing the impossible, but trusting God when the facts argue against it. She was willing to do it, to do her part. And it is then that we are told in verse 35 of the miracle of how her son would be conceived in her womb. It is the only explanation of the virgin birth in the Bible. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. The key point in Gabriel's explanation is that what is about to happen to Mary will be the result of the direct intervention of God. The Holy Spirit is the agent of the virgin birth. And overshadowing is the means of the virgin birth. And the Son of God is the result of the virgin birth. And the whole point of verse 35 is that the virgin birth produces the Holy One of God. And the word therefore in this verse is very crucial. Without the virginal conception by the Holy Spirit, the Holy One of God will not be born. Gabriel went on to tell her in verses 36 and 37, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For God, for with God, nothing will be impossible. If God wants a virgin to conceive, he can do it. And then Mary said in verse 38, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
Mary said yes. Yes to God. Yes to the impossible. Yes to the plan of God. And when the angel said, for with God nothing will be impossible, and Mary said, let it be to me according to your word, and with those words, Christmas came into the world. And it's still true that nothing is impossible with God. And that's as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. And it's also true that somebody has to say yes, or else the impossible will never happen. Mary now knew that she was pregnant, not with just any child, but with the Messiah. God himself was in her womb. She couldn't tell her parents or Joseph, not just yet. And though the angel never told Mary to go see Elizabeth, you can't help but think that he was hinting that she should go and see for herself. And so we are told in verse 39, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah. Now this was no small undertaking. This was a four or five day journey of over 80 miles and on foot. And for young Mary, newly pregnant and by herself, she faced the cold of the night and the heat of the day and the threat of robbers along the way. And at the end of her pregnancy, she would be making the same journey with Joseph because Bethlehem was also in the hill country of Judea. Verse 40 says that when she arrived in Judah, she entered, entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now why did Mary hurry to see Elizabeth? To confirm to herself what the angel had told her, that Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. Okay? And this way, Mary sees for herself, as the angel put it, that nothing is impossible with God. And Mary also hurried off to see Elizabeth because neither one of them had anyone else to talk to. And verse 4 tells us that Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months she remained in isolation. As for Mary, she had no one to talk to because she was pregnant outside of marriage. And verse 56 tells us that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. And what does this tell us? That Mary stayed until Elizabeth gave birth. So what happened when Mary first showed up and greeted Elizabeth? Verse 41 tells us, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Now, according to Elizabeth in verse 44, that as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, Mary, the baby leaped in my womb with joy. And the word for leap describes sheep or a goat or some other 
animal that is frisky, leaping in the field. Did you ever see that? We've had our little dog do that. Just you know. It expresses their excitement and happiness. And baby John must have kicked out, and he must have kicked hard, for it was a joyful kick. So why did John leap for joy? Back in verse 15, the angel told Zechariah that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now filled with the Holy Spirit, John was leaping and kicking with joy because he knew he was in the presence of the Messiah, the Savior, God's only begotten Son. Baby John leaped for joy in the womb because of Jesus. You see, he was already doing the job God called him to do, to announce the arrival of the Messiah. And this brings us to Elizabeth's reaction to the good news of Christmas. Three times Elizabeth uses the word blessed. She said to Mary, beginning in verse 42, Blessed are you among women. Now note that she did not say that Mary was blessed above women, but among women. And how could Elizabeth know to say such a thing? And the answer is found in the fact that as soon as Mary came in with a greeting, verse 41, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And continuing in verse 42, she adds, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And notice something else here. Elizabeth didn't speak of the fruit of Mary's womb as if the child were to come at some point in the future, but as if he were, as if she were the Lord's mother then and there. And somewhere between the announcement that Mary received from the angel and the moment she walked in the door of Elizabeth's home, that Christ had been conceived in her womb by the Holy Spirit. And in verse 43, Elizabeth identifies the child as my Lord. Elizabeth pronounces the child to be blessed because he is the Messiah. Elizabeth recognized that Mary has been blessed to be the God-bearer, to give birth to the Messiah, to be used by God, so that the second person of the triune Godhead would take on human flesh. She recognized that Mary had been blessed by God to nurse and care for and teach the Messiah. Exclamation mark. Hmm. And she also recognized that Mary has been blessed by God to be the mother of the Lord. Elizabeth uses the word blessed one more time. And this time she looks at Mary's faith rather than Mary's baby. And she says in verse 45, I'll read that from the NIV, Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Mary had a faith in the power and work of God. And Elizabeth saw Mary's faith, so she pronounced Mary 
to be blessed or blessed. Elizabeth recognized that faith, that faith is the key to being blessed and happy in the season of Advent and Christmas. And what is Elizabeth's reaction to the good news of Christmas? Her reaction is joy. Mary's response to the good news of Christmas involves more than belief. It also includes joy. And so she breaks forth into an expression of praise. In verses 47 to 55, we find Mary's song that many traditions of the Christian faith refer to as it as the Magnificat, from the Latin word for magnifies, which is the second word she uses in her song. And the song that she sang gave us wonderful insights into the thoughts, feelings, and convictions of her hearts at this momentous time. And in this song, we get a glimpse of Mary as someone capable of deep thought and reflection and who needs to give expression to it. In Luke 2, verse 19, after the visit of the shepherds, she is described as someone who treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The song reveals that she was very familiar with the Old Testament prophecies because it shows remarkable similarity to the song of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and carries much of the same spirit as Psalm 103. A little homework for you. And Mary sang, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maid servant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed or blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. We can treasure Mary's song as a way of looking into her heart and seeing and hearing her faith and use it as a means of honoring her. But we do more justice to her song when it becomes a means by which we observe and are inspired by her faith to see and appreciate the faithfulness of God in his mercy. In a sense, Mary's experience was a one-of-a-kind event. And yet at the same time, we are called to recognize our privileged position 
with God. How rich we are because of his delivering mercy and his promise fulfilling faithfulness. We all would do well in this season to recognize the mercy, faithfulness, and power of God. And just as Mary, in true Hebrew fashion, saw herself as one with those who lived long before, we must also see ourselves as one with all who have been delivered before and all who will come after us. And fellow believers in Christ, we truly haven't responded to the truth of the Christmas story as we should until it is with the kind of worship that sprang from Mary's heart. And praise be to God for the salvation he has given us through his wonderful Son, Jesus Christ. And may we truly experience Mary's Christmas, shall we pray. Our Father, we do not pray for more faith. We pray rather for courage to exercise the faith we already have. I would ask that you would make us more like Mary, willing to believe in spite of our doubts. And Heavenly Father, we pray this in the name of him whose birth we celebrate at Christmas time. In Jesus' name, amen.